The Lord be with you. This morning, we proclaim the good news that Jesus is confronting and conquering every obstacle that stands in the way of you living in love. His agenda for you is freedom, and his tools are grace and truth. When I picked my date to preach, I looked ahead, I read the, the scripture, the passage that I was going to have, and I was like, all right, I mean, this is the date that works best, let's just go for it. And then in the two weeks leading up to today, I really just kept meditating on the text, meditating on it, studying it, and for the life of me, I could just not find much good news in it, honestly. I wasn't sure really what's going on. And it took me a, a little bit to figure out why, um, and through that pondering and that wondering, it kind of led me to reflect on my own experiences with Christian leadership or church leadership in the past. And that was helping me to understand the eyes that I was looking on this passage with. Uh, a few years ago, when Mallory and I met in Tulsa, uh, we were at Bible school together there. And my Bible school experience was pretty nuts. I'd love to share as much with you guys as I can about it. But today I'll just kind of limit it to one story. Uh, there was one professor, one teacher that I specifically really enjoyed. Uh, it was very hit or miss for me in the classes. I was pretty vocal about it. Not always super respectful, but this guy came out of nowhere. This guy is kind of a shorter, elderly gentleman, kind of a portly figure, but he just walked in with this, this certain level of swagger and authority, and I was just like, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm ready to listen to what he has to say. And on the first day of class, he, he started off by basically saying, like, hey, if you're going to be late, don't come to class. Like, I'm driving down an hour to be here. And as this guy's talking, I'm just like, yeah, this is my guy. <laughs> like, already, I'm, I'm already picking up hints that I'm going to love this class. Some of you probably have had enough experience with Christian leadership that there's some foreshadowing going on already. The way that I described his walk into the room, the way that he set the tone and the parameters for the class. But at the time, I really dug it. <laughs> so I enjoyed that class, the full quarter that I was in there. And then he and I stayed in touch after that. And then that led to about a year and a half later, after I was done with my program, and Mal and I were actually getting ready to, we knew we were going to get married, but we weren't yet engaged. Um, and so we were kind of moving on that trajectory. And at the time, this pastor reached out to me and basically invited me to come and start participating in their worship, which was about an hour north of where we lived in Tulsa. And of course, because I just... Uh, had this natural affinity or gravitation towards this leader. I was like, oh, this guy saw something in me. I'm so honored to go and be a part of what he's doing. Sure, like I'll drive an hour on Sundays to go and be a part of two services. And so we started to go, and we went for about a year. And it, it was very, very clear from the beginning that it was like a kind of a prove it phase. Like, hey, like, why don't you come up here? We're not going to have you on staff. We're not going to really give you anything worthwhile to do. We'll let you like count the hands of the people that raised their hand during the altar call and, like, report that number. <laughs> but, you know, initially I was like, okay, this is, like, this is how I get my foot in the door, you know? This is what we're told, right? Like, this guy saw something in me. He's a leader that I respect and look up to, so I will do what it takes to gain approval from this leader. And so Mallory and I did that for about a year. And towards the end of it, it started to become clear that things weren't really firing on all cylinders. There wasn't, like, this, uh, you know, there wasn't a communal experience going on. We weren't in it together. There wasn't like a sense of mutuality. Uh, and it started just to become 
I think we really didn't have words for it, but we just kind of had this, this numb awareness of something wasn't fitting right. Uh, and this all kind of culminated in me going up to a young leader's meeting. It was like a mentorship meeting that they had once a month on like a Tuesday night. And Mallory, for some reason, could not come with me. So I went up there, and there's like 15 young leaders that are like in the mentorship program at this church. And I think I got there late or was right on time, but like just came in the door right as we were getting started. Whatever happened, the way I remember it was that I was sitting at a table all by myself, and everybody else was like at a table with their friends and the people that they lived next to in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And so I just happened to be at this table by myself. It was a weird circumstance. And we had just been, Mallory and I were confused. We weren't really sure what was going on at this church. We didn't know what was coming next for us in life. And just in the middle of this meeting, for whatever reason, like, we went around, they opened it up for people to share, and I just, like, started talking and had this thing that you guys may have experienced at some point in your life where, like, you start to talk and then you just start bawling and, like, weeping, and you can't, you can't talk. You're like, I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm crying. But I was just weeping. And I, I remember, like, when I think back on that now, the picture that I have is just, like, me at that table by myself, just, like, drowning in my own tears, and everybody's just like, this is really awkward. Like, <laughs> wrap it up so we can get to the next person so I can share. There was like, you know, nobody was with me. There was no hand on the back. There was no, you know, nobody just sitting with me. Nobody came over to check on me. Um, it was a very isolating experience. And I kind of wondered if I should share this next part, but I think it, it pairs well with where we're going with the story today. But so Needless to say, we ended up going in a different direction and serving at a different church shortly after that. We moved to Dallas, and we helped with a church plant. But about eight months later, we were at a church conference that this other pastor that I had previously served under was at. And uh, we saw each other. Everything was cordial. No, no concern at all. But then it kind of came to my attention that he was, like, basically openly making fun of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cool, bro. Also, <laughs> also, the person that brought it to my attention was the pastor that I was currently serving under at the time, which I, I kind of think he shared it intentionally as well. But, <laughs> hey, whatever, we're not talking about that tonight, <laughs> today. <laughs> I think that this is similar to a lot of experiences that we've had with leadership in the world, whether it's in the church or at work or at home. This is kind of the picture that's been painted for us of what leadership looks like. You have to prove it. You have to prove your worth, your value, that you're worth the leader's time, that they would take the time to develop you as a young leader, that they would take the time to mentor you or care about you or invest in you. Invest in you. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is confronting and conquering every obstacle that keeps you from living in love today. His agenda for you is freedom, and his tools are grace and truth. So, when I look at this text where Jesus is telling somebody that wants to just go back and bury his father, and he's like, hey, there's no time for that. You can either follow me or not. It's hard for me not to read that, that type of abusive, powerful leadership into that and just be like, dude, I mean, I can get down with Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, but what is up with this? Like, you can't bury your dad? I mean, is he just being a jerk? Is he just messing with this guy? I don't know what's happening here. And so it took me a while to see through the passage what is actually happening. What is, what is this here for us to see? What is the good news in this for us? And as I meditated on the text, I realized that 
it's not a coincidence, actually, that the story about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem is right before this tale of three people that wanted to follow him, right? The way that our, our Bibles are broken down now, they're under different headings, and it's very natural to read them as like two distinct stories, but it's just right there together. It's just one thing. And they're side by side for a reason. So Jesus, the text says that on his way, he's on his way to his ascension, which means he's on his way, he's marching forwards to Jerusalem to go to death. He knows that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to go to be abandoned and to suffer greatly. But he's moving forward resolutely. And so he sends out messengers to see if they can stay in a Samaritan village. And the word comes back that he's not welcome there because he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Another puzzling thing about this text is, like, I've never seen the disciples so confident ever about anything. Like, you know, we don't have enough bread to feed these people, Jesus. What are we going to do? You know, I'm not sure. Oh, it's storming and we're out on a boat. What's going to happen? But you know what? They come back and they've got a bad report from the Samaritan village. They're just like, hey, uh, you just want us to call down some fire? And, like, burn these people up? Like, I, I don't know any other passage where the disciples seem that, that confident when they're with Jesus. But when it comes to vengeance... Or that idea of being wronged and powering up and doing something, there was a boldness that came out for whatever reason. And I think that we can resonate with that to some extent as well, but Jesus' response is just to rebuke them. And it's just an open-handed invitation of saying, hey, can we stay with you? Can we stay in this village? And they said no, and he didn't call down fire from heaven. He, he said, okay, let's go to another village. So he extended another invitation, and he found a place that he was welcome to go. And then right after that, in the next passage, he tells somebody, or somebody approaches him actually, the first person approaches him and says, I want to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, well, the Son of Man doesn't have a home. I don't have, you know, foxes have dens, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head down. And then he invites somebody to follow him. And they want to go back and bury their father. And he says, no, let the dead bury the dead. And then the next person says, I'm going to come with you, but can I just say bye to my family? He's like, hey, there's no time for that. If you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And it's so easy for us to still, even side by side, to look at that and see it as being some type of uh, like abusive challenge from a leader. Uh, it doesn't seem reasonable to us. It still is a little bit weird to understand, but when you look at it in the broader context of Jesus' character and what, what happened just before, these invitations to follow him are open-handed invitations. And they're personal challenges to these people. They're not, the, they're not the challenge of, hey, drive up here for a year and count the number of people that raise their hands for the altar call and like, don't complain about it, and we'll see if you're fit to like, have a role in ministry at this church. That's not what he's doing. He's speaking to the heart of the people that he's talking to. He knows them intimately. And his, his challenges, a challenge from Jesus, are actually an invitation. They're full of grace and truth. His only agenda for these people is freedom. Not because he needs more people to pass out the bread when he's feeding the 5,000. He doesn't need more people to expand and grow his ministry, to make his name more famous. His agenda for these people is freedom. And these questions, these challenges that he issues, are full of grace and truth. It's, it's also interesting to reflect. Like When I read this, the first time I read this, every time I'm just like, yeah, none of these people follow Jesus. But it doesn't say that in the passage. It just says the challenges that he extends to them. And actually, Matt's going to talk about it next week, but the, whole, the next chapter, it goes straight from this passage into the sending out of the disciples to go do ministry. It doesn't say these three walked away. It's not like the rich young ruler who turned and walked away and Jesus let him go. 
these people wanted to follow Jesus, and then he spoke to a specific known issue in their heart that he knew in a personal way, and they either did or didn't follow him. But I can tell you one thing for sure. I don't think this is blasphemy. If they didn't follow him, he didn't call down fire from heaven to burn them up. Jesus is confronting and conquering every obstacle that stands in the way of you living in love today. His only agenda for you is freedom. And the tools that he uses to achieve that agenda are grace and truth. His, his challenges are motivated by love, not by some hidden agenda, not by what he wants to get out of you. He hasn't seen something in you that he can use or exploit for his own goals. He loves you. He's motivated by his love for you. His challenges are informed by a deep knowing of your heart. We're not supposed to just extrapolate from this passage that, okay, never uh, skip out on a ministry event because you're going to a funeral. This is not like a theological, a broad theological statement that we're supposed to take from this. Like, hey, like, you can go on a mission trip, but if you say goodbye to your family, you're not fit for the kingdom. Just so you know, hey, it's your choice. We're not supposed to, we're really good at taking these things and making like theological demands, like a checklist of if you measure up to it or not. But that's not what he's doing. These are specific things. And he knows your hearts. He knows the obstacles that you're facing today. And they're different than the obstacles that I'm facing. But Jesus is confronting and conquering every obstacle that you face today to living in love. His agenda for you is freedom, and the tools that he uses are grace and truth. So yesterday I was reflecting on this story that I shared about our experience with this pastor, and I was just like, I was, get, I, I was feeling something. I was, feel, I was feeling some type of way about it. <laughs> I wasn't really sure. I thought I knew what I was feeling, but I, I started to type out a text message to Matt. I was just going to say, you know, the thing about like reflecting on these stories of like the ways that we're abused or injured is it really just, it makes me so mad. Like, I get mad about it all over, and I was like, ah, this isn't, I'm not mad. Am I mad? I'm not mad. I, like, backed, backspaced and, like, sat and thought about it for a second. It's like, am I angry? Uh, I'm hurt. I'm, like, personally injured in a deep way by this thing that happened to me. But I feel like my qualification for ministry or leadership is to not let that out. It's better for me to be angry about it than to be injured, to have been to have been made a fool of or embarrassed or hurt in some way. It takes reflecting on that for me all these years later to acknowledge that Jesus is here confronting and conquering every obstacle that stands in the way for me living in love. That his agenda for me is freedom and that the tools that he's using in my life are grace and truth. What obstacles are you facing today to living in love? Do you resonate with what I'm sharing about needing to be strong, to be qualified, to, to live up to whatever the challenge is? Or, or maybe you, you feel the complete opposite. Maybe you were injured in, a, in a, a place of strength. And so now you feel that you just have to just stick with the self-deprecating humor. Don't volunteer for something. Don't act like you're strong. Just be weak. That's a safe place for you. Is that an obstacle for you today? What would be different if you were fully known by Jesus? If the challenges that he was issuing to you, the invitations that he was issuing to you, came from a deep knowing of your heart and your mind and your soul? 
How would that impact your life at your job? How would that change your marriage? How you parented? Your relationships with your neighbors? Jesus is confronting and conquering every obstacle that stands in the way of you living in love today. His agenda for you is complete freedom, and the tools that he's using are grace and truth. Josie's going to lead us in responding to this good news today. Let's welcome our kids back into the service. God's power and authority is for your freedom. Do not be like horse that must be led around by bit and bridle, but it is for freedom you have been set free, friends. God wants to trust you, and he does. So go trusting his love that is conquering every resistance and obstacle to you, your life, and go proclaiming that love yes. to a world enslaved in guilt and fear and shame, mm -hmm. a world that needs desperately to encounter the God revealed in Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.